Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And then the shadow Jesus came down reason And Jesus is he saying out or up? Lift it up, lift it out. I think lift it out. Lift it out of your problem. Glory to your name. 
to your name. Glory to your name. There to my heart. Glory to your name. Everlasting arms, leaning, 
Because, you know, all week long, we all have burdens and problems and trials and tests of all kinds. But by the time that we get to worship, spend time with the Lord, praise his holy name, well, that really just makes the burdens roll away. Amen. There is power in praise. Amen. There is power in praise. And it is amazing, amazing power. We need praise the Lord all week long in our prayers and in our lives. And even if you don't have time to put on music, you can praise the Lord in your heart, in your mind, and with your mouth, with your hands. No matter what you're doing, anywhere, at any time, at any location, you can praise God. Amen. And it gives us strength. It gives us energy. It helps us with perseverance. It helps us with faith and endurance to just praise Him. Amen. We cannot overstate the importance of prayer and praise as we had talked about in a recent sermon. Amen. 
Well, I'm glad to see those that are able to join us today. And we trust that those that are not able to join us are having problems with their internet or electricity, because those things do occur. And we give them the benefit of doubt. Amen. Let's go in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, praise your holy name. Thank you for this new day. Thank you for getting us through this week. Thank you, Father, for getting us through all of our trials and tribulations, for giving us the power of endurance and preservation and faith, for strengthening us, for making us stronger this year than last year, for helping us to continue to grow, not only in knowledge, but also in wisdom and discernment and endurance. Thank you, Father, for all the new people that you're bringing into your church. And we pray, Lord, that the new people will endure and persevere and not allow themselves to be shaken out of the center of your will. We pray for all of our brothers and sisters, wherever they may be, that they would become even stronger for you, that they would fight the good fight, that all of our brothers and sisters and ourselves would step up to the plate and have the right priorities in life. We all have family, friends, and other situations, work, jobs, responsibilities, but we pray that each one of us would be found set in the right priorities, putting the kingdom first. Father, if any one of us falls short in that area, we pray that you would reveal it to each individual that are having problems with setting the right priority, and that you would quicken them, that you would quicken their mortal spirit, that you would quicken them and help them to become into the center of your will. Put you, your kingdom, first in every way, in every area of our lives. And that is not impossible. It is not impossible to put the Alpha first. The Alpha comes first by nature. Alpha is automatically first unless we push you away. We have to push you to second or third or last in order to make other things take priority, and that's not right. We pray, Lord, that we would not push you aside, that we would not push you behind us, but that we would always allow your preeminence, that we would always allow you to take first, which is your rightful place, We ask, Lord, you would strengthen those that are weak, 
heal those that are sick, deliver those that are in bondage. We pray, Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of those that cannot see well spiritually. Help those that are too legalistic to learn life. And those that are not following your law to learn your ways and to learn how that your ways are true and just. We pray, Lord, for your help in today's sermon to apply your spirit and your will into our lives and that this sermon would not be in vain but shall accomplish the purpose from heaven of which is being sent. We trust that it will. We ask that you be glorified in all of this and your people edified. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's turn to John 15. John chapter 15, verse 1. Okay. Page 120. While everybody's turning to John 15, I will update you on the Alpha and Omega Bible update, and it's going pretty good, but it will be a challenge to get it completely done, processed, and approved by the printer on time, but what I hope to do is at the very least have two or three volumes completely done, processed, and approved by the 21st. If not, if not all five volumes, at least two or three volumes, at the least, and then be able to have only one or two left to get accomplished before the end of the month. But hopefully we can get it all done by the 21st, but we do have new moon coming up on Thursday, which means that I would need to have a sermon prepared but before then, and uh, there's other things to do as well, and there's uh, new people that are signing out about the ministry and I have to spend time with them and answer their questions and stuff like that. So there's a lot to do in a very short period of time. So I don't know if I can get all five volumes done by the 21st or not. Maybe and maybe not. 
like I said, at least maybe two or three volumes, and that would be that much in that. But when I turn to John 15, what always comes to my mind that stands out about that, that chapter more than anything else is the analogy of Jesus being a vine or a tree, maybe a grapevine, some kind of a fruit vine or a tree that bears fruit, and that we are part of that tree, part of that plant. Amen. This is what always comes to my mind, and that's what we're talking about in verse 1, John 15, verse 1 through 6. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the caretaker of the farm. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Amen. Now, if he is the vine, and there are branches that must bear fruit, and this is a symbolism, then what are the branches that must bear fruit? That would be us. Amen? That would be us. That's very clear. Amen. And yet it says that if we do not bear fruit, he will remove us from him, from the vine. Amen. So as I've said many times before, this is absolute 100% proof, as it says in the footnote in verse 6. This is 100% solid proof against the once saved, always saved, phony, baloney doctrine. Amen. And yet you can present these verses to those once saved, always saved people, <laughs> and they still will not accept the truth. They are so ingrained in that false doctrine that it's ridiculous. This is so clear. Amen. So we must bear truth so that we will not lose our salvation, so that we can stay in the presence of God, amen, that he would not cast us away from him because sin separates us from God, as the Bible says, amen, repeatedly. So we are required to bear fruit, which means growing in the truth, growing in the knowledge of the truth, growing in understanding in relationship with God, growing in that relationship with God, and then from all of that, having a result, having a result of not just knowing that there is a God, but a result of a relationship with God, being in God, not just knowing about God, but being in God, staying in God, and bearing some kind of good fruit, a result of it, a result, good results, amen. Results would be, it could be many different things such as helping the poor, helping the orphans and the widows, 
with your tithes and offerings or directly to people that you meet that's in need. It can be uh, praying for people, being a prayer warrior, and God answering your prayers for people. It can be uh, visiting the prisoners and doing all the things in Matthew 25, all the different things, visiting the sick, visiting the prisoner, and all the other things listed there. Amen. Helping people with food, whatever their need is. Helping the homeless. Helping the uh, uh, people in need. And it can be witnessing to people about the truth and helping people to come to the truth. There's many different fruits, amen, many different fruits that can come from your working for the Lord, your working for the kingdom. But we must all be bearing some kind of fruit, amen. And more than just one fruit, but fruits, amen, because what good is any kind of a vine or tree that has only one tomato or one pear is good for one day. Amen. If I plant a tomato plant and I'm expecting 20, 30, 40, 50 tomatoes out of that thing and I only get one tomato, I'm going to be upset. Amen. And what am I, what am I going to do with that tomato plant? Throw it away. Amen. It won't be any good. Amen. So God requires us to bear fruit and to continue to bear fruit all season, all season long. To continue and to continue and to continue to bear fruit. Amen. So today, the sermon is perseverance and pushing forward. Perseverance and pushing forward it's not good enough to just just only continue to stay alive not only to just continue to be part of that vine and persevere but also push forward bear more fruit and more fruit and more fruit and if that tomato plant is constantly being attacked by insects and the sun and the heat and drought is going to have to fight for its life. Amen. Now, tomato plant overall typically is a very persevering plant. It is. It is a plant that can suffer damage and some drought and a lot of hot sun and a lot of heat and a lot of wind, it can endure a lot of stuff and stay alive. But there are times when it becomes weak, brown, yellow, dry, wiltry. But if somebody takes care of it, even after that, it can spring back up and get greener again, spring back up and bear its fruit again and prosper again. It is a persevering plant. Amen. But it's not good enough to just stay alive. It needs to bear more fruit. And to get it there, 
we have to attend to it even more after it has suffered. Amen. We must bear fruit, and there is a danger of being taken away. Amen. Now, notice that it says also that he prunes it. If it does bear fruit, he prunes it. With a tomato plant, a lot of times you would get the tiny little yellow flowers on there, even while it is a very small plant. And the best way to make for sure that tomato plant grows and prospers and bears good fruit is to prune off, to cut off or tear off those first flyers that will come on it. Because if you allow tomatoes to start growing when the plant is too young, too small, yeah, it will have fruit, but it will stunt the plant from growing taller because it's going to put all that energy into those tomatoes instead of growing big and tall to where it can give more tomatoes. So it's good to prune it, and there's a lot of plants that way. Even the lavender and the mint plant, that if you would tear some of it off every occasionally, every once in a while tear some off and go ahead and harvest some off from it, it makes it grow back even more. It helps it to be able to prune it. And a lot of trees are that way. And a lot of plants are that way. So we need the trials and testings of some pruning. God on purpose, not only is the devil, but God himself many times will bring us trials and tests. Amen. So that we will grow better, that we will grow stronger, bigger, bear more, even better fruit for him. Amen. Because that we've been there and done it, that we've experienced the trials so that we can help other people, that we know what we're talking about when we're helping other people, that we know what we're talking about when we pray for other people. Amen. Because we've been there ourselves. It makes us stronger. It builds our character for God to prune us, cut us back a little bit, and humble us. It's good for us to be humbled, to be cut back a little bit occasionally. Amen. People should not always accuse the devil of everything. The devil is evil. But the devil is not in every town, in every house, in every problem, in every sin, in every trial, in every test, in every temptation. No, the devil is not God, and the devil is not always, ever worse, at all times. The devil is not God. The devil is not all present. Amen. So many times people accuse the devil when it's God doing something or when it's something of our own fault or just plain life. Amen. Just plain life. Just life. Not even God, not even the devil, not even a demon, not even an angel. Just Life, it happens, amen. Life happens. 
Amen. The people are thinking that every little thing, every little thing, is a spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is raging like never before. But not everything is spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's just life. Amen. But sometimes it's God and he prunes us. Now look at verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me. So neither you unless you abide in me. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. Amen. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, not just one, but much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. Even our breath and our heartbeat and our strength comes from the Lord. Amen. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, they gather the branches, they gather the people. And the Bible says even the angels will gather the wicked and cast them into the fire and they are burned, burned up. Amen. So, Robert, we need to put the word up there on the end to make that understood better. Burned up. Amen. Because that would better match Malachi 4, Psalm 37. And that's what it means, burnt up, that they are being consumed. Amen. Not just burnt, but consumed, burnt up. Amen. Perseverance and pushing forward. We must abide in him, but we also must push to bear some fruit. You cannot bear fruit without works. And to work is to push yourself to do something. It might feel better to stay in bed, but you have to tell yourself, I need to get up. I got to go to work. Amen. So every day, physically, we say to ourselves, it's time to get up. I got to go. But spiritually, every day, we should say to ourselves, I need to do something for the Lord. I need to worship. I need to pray. I need to pay attention to him. I need to read the scriptures. I need to help people in need when they come to me, if, it's, if I'm able to, and other things. Whatever God brings us and whatever life brings us, to meet the need of the situation every day, living life 24-7, not just the seventh day, but always serving the Lord. Amen. And doing the work of God and putting his work first, his work first. Not going outside the house to a carnal job until you have first prayed 
Amen. Not going to the grocery store in the morning until you have first prayed. Putting God first. Amen. Paying our tithes first. And many times even helping people over and above our own needs. Amen. Putting others first. God first and others first. Considering other people's needs. Considering that other people need our attention, our love, our encouragement, not just our prayers, but our actions. Amen. People need to see us face to face. People need our hugs. People need our attention, our fellowship. Amen. People need us, and we need them. It's two-way street. Amen. Let's go to Philippians 3, which is on page 212. Now, all these page numbers are going to change once we get the updated Alpha and Omega Bible because there's going to be more notes and edits, all the new edits and everything in the scriptures, so that's going to change the page numbers, okay? So Philippians 3, starting in verse 1, page 212. Philippians 3, verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 15. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no problem for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. When he says false circumcision, he's talking about people, just like he's talking about dogs and evil workers. All three phrases here in this sentence is talking about people. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Man, I couldn't tell you how many times people have attacked me, so-called sisters mostly, sisters and brothers, so-called, that attack me for insulting people, for insulting fools, people that have transgressed against the Lord, people that have sinned and fallen away, whatever. Because people have the mentality, the false Babylonian thinking, that you should never offend anyone, no matter what. And you shouldn't call names, you shouldn't upset people, and you shouldn't rebuke, and all of this, false doctrines. Here, Paul, even as Jesus did, amen, is calling people dogs. That is an insult. Amen. And it's found throughout Scripture. Amen. Jesus called people swine, pigs, snakes, hypocrites, and dogs. Amen. But 
Paul is saying, beware of those people that are so bad that we are calling them names, that we are call, that we are insulting them, and they need to be insulted because you have got to realize that there are some people, even as the Bible tells us, that are worthy of death in a great, much greater sense than what we were all worthy of death because we all sin. Much different sense, much greater sense. These are people that are still, still worthy of death and even more so worthy of death because they continue in the transgression and actively working against the truth. Actively working against the truth. Amen. When we, most of us, our situation was, before we got saved, we were worthy of death out of ignorance of the truth. Amen? But there are people that are dogs that are worthy of death who have, have heard the truth, have read the whole Bible, and have heard the truth, and have seen the miracles of God, and still actively worked against God. And such people, they are worthy to be called spiders, snakes. I add spiders myself. It's not in the Bible, but they're worthy to be called spiders, rats, snakes, vipers, dogs, pigs, and all kinds of other things, and fools and stupids. They are worthy of such words. Sometimes you have to use strong language. Sometimes you do. It's not, it's not nice. But it's necessary sometimes to use strong language in order to get people to understand the gravity, the severity of the situation. There are some people or that are not worthy to witness to, as the Bible says, to see who is worthy and to cast not our pearls before the swine. There are some people that are not worthy of our time and attention because they are so out, out, outlandishly ridiculous. Amen. So anyway, beware of those dogs and beware of evil workers, such as those people of the, are, are of the false circumcision. And let's talk about the people, the Hebrew roots people, who claim that for a man to enter the kingdom of God, he must have the skin of his penis cut off. That's insanity. And they are dogs. And we have to be careful to not let those people dwell among us. I have allowed them to come here and have worship services with us. But they never came back for worship services a second time because I made it known to them how ridiculous that their foolishness was. I will always, mostly always, not always, but mostly always give people at least one opportunity to sit down and listen to the truth. Amen? But if they don't accept the truth, then I won't let them come back, or unless they are at least willing to hear me out. But 
if they're going to come back and tell me I'm wrong again, then they're out the door. Amen. But we got to beware of them. Amen. We have to put up safeguards. Amen. Verse 3, for we are the true circumcision. That is, that we are circumcised in the heart and in the mind. Who worship the spirit of Theos and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, meaning we don't put confidence in foreskin. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh about certain things, but if anyone else has a mind to confidence in the flesh, I have far even more because I was circumcised the eighth day, the eighth day by the old covenant law of the nation of Jezebel, of the child of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor he was, of the congregation of called out ones, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless he was. But whatever thing that were gained to me in the past, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Amen. In other words, Paul was able and willing to eventually let go of Babylon. Amen. When he had been a chief of the Pharisees, and he had read the whole Bible, and well taught in the law, and was keeping every letter of the law, the circumcision, the unclean meats, the whole works, he didn't know Christ. Amen. At that time. And even persecuted the church. Amen. But he was able and willing at some point of time at his salvation to let go of the old covenant law, the legalism, and to let go of Babylon and false doctrine and false teachings. Even though it was so ingrained in man, it was ingrained in him. It really was ingrained in him. Absolutely. He was stubborn and rebellious. And he was an antichrist. He was a antichrist at one time. But when God, amen, when God Jesus changed his life, Paul answered right back and said, I do. I will. I will, Lord. Amen. He let go. He came into agreement with Jesus that he would worship Jesus and put Jesus first and put the truth first and let go of all the lies, all the deceptions, let go of Babylon, false religion and old covenant laws and man's laws as far as uh, man's laws that were uh, temporary of the old covenant. Amen. Let go of those things he did. Amen. We have to let go of the false teachings that we was raised in. And if we let go of those things, we must cast them behind us. Even as we would tell a demon, get behind us. Amen. That says, I'm taking charge. Amen. That the demon 
or false doctrines, false religion, whatever we're talking about, is not going to control us or lead us anymore, but rather we are now in front. We are in the leadership, leadership position. Amen. That the demons have to obey us. Amen. And that we have dominion and power and authority in this earth, even in the heavenlies. We have power and dominion over angels, good and bad angels. We have power and dominion. Amen. We are the sons of God. We are the sons of God. Amen. We have to take charge. So don't go back to Babylon. And Babylon would try to keep a hold on us. Especially if you are a woman. Babylon, the Babylonian leaders would try to dictate you and control you and say you must obey your husband. They would use the scripture to say you must be part of the devil's church because the Bible says you must obey your husband in all things. But the Bible also says, amen, that the Bible also says that we, it is better to obey God than man. It says that too, doesn't it? Amen. It also says to not be unequally yoked. Amen. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Amen. There's many other verses. But people want to pick and choose. And Babylon wants to pick and choose what verses, even as the devil did, pick and choose what verses to try to tempt Jesus. Amen. But Jesus said it is also written in the Bible. Amen. It is also written this other verse. Amen. Don't allow the devil to lead you and dictate you to stay in the devil's church or to go back into the devil's church when you know that is the devil's church. Amen. If they keep Sunday and not the seventh day, if they keep Easter and, and those pagan demonic holidays, and they are demonic. That's what pagan means. Because you cannot have a pagan object without it being demonic. Witchcraft. That's what it is. Satanism is what it is. That's what Christmas, Easter, Easter and Christmas and the Trinity and the pre-trib rapture doctrine and all that other foolishness and once saved, always saved. And all of that foolishness is all demonic. You might as well say it the way it is. You might as well use strong language because that is the reality. They couldn't pull me back into Babylon kicking and screaming. Amen. They couldn't even take my dead body into Babylon. No, they couldn't. If I was to die today, if I was to die today, and they came and took my body and did everything they're supposed to do to it, and then tried to take it into a coffin, into a Babylonian church building, you know what would happen? My body would raise from the dead, and I would be 
standing up alive outside saying, no, you are not going to carry my body in that church of Satan. Amen? You may think I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. You couldn't drag me dead to go back into the church of Satan, of Christmas, and a three-headed God, and all kinds of lies from A to Z. Amen? Don't allow husband, wife, sister, brother, child, grandchild, or even a billion dollars, don't allow anything or anyone to drag you back into Babylon. Amen. Paul was ingrained and raised in Babylon, but he said he let go of all that to gain Christ. Amen. He grew. Amen. He grew. Amen. And it says here, that in verse 9, and may be found in him, not have any righteousness of my own de derived from the law, talking about circumcision and all that, O covenant, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from Theos on the basis of faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. So he, 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 he equates Knowing God, not with uh, a life of uh, roses, not with a life of roses, amen, not with an easy road, not with the, the kind of preaching you get from Joel Osteen and Joyce Myers and others, no, but rather he equates knowing Christ with hardship trials and sufferings that's what he equates knowing christ with amen and i guarantee you that paul knew that once he accepted christ as god he knew that the pharisees those church people that he used to go to church with they were going to be his enemies he knew that you don't have to have everything written in the Bible. Use your brain. Use a little bit of common sense. Amen? He knew that those church people that he had been going to church with all of his life, guarantee you he had family members, friends, co-workers, and, and people who had taught him, people who he had greatly respected, people who he probably had even financial ties with, he knew that he was going to throw away his whole life, that he was going to lose his life, and that everybody he knew was going to be his enemy. That was a drastic change of life for Paul. Amen. Drastic change of life for Paul. When he gave all that up, gave up Babylon to know Christ and the sufferings that would come with knowing Christ. All the mocking and the persecution and the threat of death and the threat of prison for the truth. But he was willing to know Christ and said, I do. Amen. And being performed even to his death, it says here in verse 10. Look at verse 11. In order that I may obtain 
to the resurrection from the dead. Now we're going to have to edit that verse. You know why? Because we're all going to be resurrected from the dead, whether we're wicked or righteous. So what is he talking about? Now he explains himself in the next verse. So let's read that. Not that, have, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfected, but I press on that I may seize onto it. Amen. So what he's talking about in verse 11, about attaining to the resurrection, we're all going to be resurrected, but he's talking about being ready for the resurrection. So, in order that I may obtain or be ready for the resurrection. Okay. So I think what we're going to do is mark out attain to those two words attain to in verse 11 and change it to being ready for in order that I may be ready for or get ready for in order that I may get ready Then verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfected. Because you have to become perfected in order to be ready, ready for it. Amen. So that you can be turned to spirit. See, people don't understand this at all. Amen. Because they don't understand the truth about heaven and hell. And even the people that do know a truth about heaven and hell. Even they don't understand this. You could be actually truly saved and still not make it in the first resurrection. How is that? If you're truly saved, when Jesus comes back, that you would not enter the first resurrection, how is that possible? And it has to do with fruits. It has to do with being old enough to bear fruits. Amen. It has to do with being perfected, as Paul said. But he, at that point of time in his life, had not yet been perfected enough to be ready for the resurrection. Now, Paul... At this point of his time of his life, when he wrote this, he had already wrote some of the scriptures, gotten saved, baptized, become a preacher of God, learning truth, growing in the knowledge of the Lord, bearing fruit even. But even he, after all of that, said that he wasn't ready. He had not yet obtained to the perfection that was needed for the first resurrection. Think about that. If even Paul said he wasn't ready for the resurrection, then I think that should make every one of us humble ourselves and not be so proudful to think that, well, I'm saved, I'm ready. Because there's much, much more to it than just that. Amen. 
And that means we've got to become perfected. Not just saved, but also perfected. And many people say, we will never be perfect, that's impossible. Well, then why did Paul say he wasn't ready because he wasn't perfect yet? Why did Paul say that if it's impossible to ever get to that level? Amen. And why does the Bible say, be ye perfect? Why does the Bible say, be ye holy, if it was impossible? Amen. It's just excuses. People just use excuses. Amen. And so this goes right back to not just staying alive and enduring and abiding in Christ, but also pushing forward to bear more fruit and more fruit, growing the truth more, growing more knowledge of the Lord, growing more relationship with God, growing greater maturity letting go of legalism, letting go of any hindrance that would hinder us from making it into that first resurrection. And there are many hindrances that could prohibit us from making it into the first. So we've got a lot to do. We've got a lot to do in a short time. And there will be more new people and more new people and more new people all throughout the Great Tribulation. Amen. And so there will be some people, especially younger people, that won't make it into the first resurrection, but they will make it in nevertheless. Amen. As the Bible says, there will be so many people that they can't even be counted that would make it into God's kingdom. Amen. But when John has that vision of that great multitude of unnumberable people, he sees them at the very end in paradise. It doesn't say that they all made it in in the first resurrection. Amen. It says that they had made it through the tribulation, yes. But it doesn't say that they made it in in the first resurrection. Amen. But they will be there in the kingdom. When it's all said and done on the eighth day, in the last great day of the feast of the symbolism of paradise, they will be there ultimately. But a lot of people have got a lot to learn in a very short period of time. And to make it in the first, a lot of people's really got to press. Amen? A lot of people, if you have only came into the knowledge of this ministry right here in the past day, in the past month, in the past year, in the past two years, you're going to have to press to make it into the first resurrection because there is a lot to learn, a lot, a lot to learn because Revelation 12 verse 9 says that the devil has deceived the entire world. That means your parents and your grandparents and your pastors and every ministry group that you ever joined, every church that you ever visited, 
every person that ever preached to you, every website that's ever tried to teach you anything, every one of them were deceived. The entire world means the entire world. Every one of them. So you're going to have to really press, not just endure, not just persevere, but press in and push and seize the kingdom. You're going to have to have some zeal, some passion, some determination, some willpower to push against the storm, to push against all the hurricanes, all the storms, all the trials, all the testing, all the temptation, all the false doctrine, and even family and friends in order to make it in. If you want it, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want it, you're going to have to fight for it because the devil is going to fight you. And your family will. And your coworkers will. And your friends will. The world will. Finances will. Spiritual principalities will. The flesh will. Everything will fight you to try to hinder you from finishing. And that means this is war. This is a fight. It's a fight for our life. It's a fight for the finish line. And who are you going to allow? Who are you going to allow to hinder you? Who or what? Answer the question. Who or what are you going to allow to hinder you from making it first prize? Amen. Look at verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained or I have already become perfected, but I press on so that I may seize of that for which I also was seized by Christ Jesus. Got to seize right back. And then God comes for us, but we got to go for him. It's a two-way street. Amen. In verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as I have already seized it. I have not yet already seized everything that he needed to seize. But one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind all his past, all of his sins, forgetting his past life, and reaching forward to what lies ahead and pursue toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of Theos in Christ Jesus. Amen. Says in verse 14 that, that he has to pursue it. Amen. If Paul had to pursue it, then we better pursue it as well. For that goal, we've got to have that goal to win the prize. And notice it doesn't say gift. Notice it does not say the free gift, but rather a prize for fighting, for pursuing, for seizing, for grabbing on to the kingdom. We have to seize the kingdom. We did a sermon one time about seizing the kingdom. We have to seize it. 
because it is a fight, it is a war, and it is a bloody war, it is an intense war. We have to seize on to it, we have to pursue it, we have to chase after it, because it is a struggle. It is a struggle. It's not as easy as what people make it out to be. It's not just believe, it's not just believe. It's not just repeat the words after me. It's not just one prayer. It is not once saved, always saved. It is a struggle. But it's a struggle worth fighting. And God makes it a whole lot easier if we just put our minds upon him and the finish line and the prize. He makes it a lot easier. He gives us the strength. He gives us the empowerment. He gives us the power and authority and the dominion over serpents and over the scorpions and over everything. He gives us the power and the dominion, but we have to seize even that because he says, here it is, and we have to reach out our hand and says, I accept, and take it and then use it. It's not good enough to just take the instruments and the tools he gives us, but we have to actually use those instruments, those tools. Amen. And we're required to use it. If God gives us a gift, we are required to use those gifts. Whether it is the gift of tongues, or the gift of singing, or guitar, or keyboard, or other musical instrument, or prophecy, or any other gift from God. We are required to use it for his glory. And not just lay it down. Amen. What good is a gift if we don't use it? Amen. A gift that is not used is a dead fruit. Amen. It is a dead vine. It is a dead branch. Amen. What good is a shovel if we don't put the shovel to use? What good is a hammer if we don't hammer with it? God gives us a gift. We have to use it so that we can bear fruit. We can't bear fruit if we don't use it. Amen. And we need it in this church. We need it like everything in this church. We need more of the workings of people's gifts. Amen. We need it. And it says here in verse 15, let us therefore, as many as are perfected, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, Theos will reveal that to you. What that means is that Paul says, even though he wasn't ready for the kingdom yet, he wasn't ready for the resurrection yet, but he says that if you think you are ready, then you need to have an attitude adjustment. You need to think like he thinks. That's what he's saying there, that you need to have this attitude that he has, that he wasn't ready. In other words, he's saying in different words, you need to humble yourself to have the same attitude I have that I'm not ready and you're not ready either. Because when you say that you're ready, most likely, chances are, you are deceiving yourself. Amen. And that is very, very true. And I will even 
challenge for people to even ask one another, what is it in me that I still need to work on? What are my weaknesses? What are my sins? What are my flaws? And you're going to have to, if you are bold enough to ask those questions of one another, then you're going to have to be willing to receive criticism. Amen. And that's a difficult thing to do, and a lot of people cannot accept criticism. So don't ask that question if you're not willing to hear the truth about yourself. We did that sermon that other people can see you and better than you can see yourself, that people can smell you better than what you can smell yourself. So it's good to take criticism from people, to have other people say, look at me, tell me, is my hair out of place? Do I stink? Do I smell? Am I, am I acting proudful? Do you think I'm vain? Do you think I'm proudful? Do you think, what do you think my weaknesses are that I need to perfect? Because I may be things I don't realize about myself, but you can see me, hear me, and smell me better than I can myself. And that's true for every one of us. Criticism from other people is very helpful, but you've got to be willing to humble yourself to take it. Amen. But I would encourage people to ask people about what they think of you and don't criticize back. Don't, don't, don't fight back against what they said. Just only say thank you for your honesty and leave it there. Don't say that ain't true, that ain't true, that ain't true, that ain't true. The purpose of asking them is to learn about yourself what you don't know about yourself. So don't fight the person for their answer, for their honesty, when you're the one that asks them. Just say, thank you for your honesty, leave it there, and then go home and cry your eyes out and repent. Amen. And of course, some of the things they say won't be true, but some of it will be true, I guarantee you. Some of it will be true. Amen. And let us judge ourselves and examine ourselves also with the characteristics of our birth sign, which I know is extremely controversial. But for you brand new people, hear me out very shortly. I can't digress very much. But we just did a sermon just last week about the gospel of the scriptures that are in the stars, the constellations, and it is extremely 100% biblical, absolutely. And we're gonna still yet put that into article form after I get the AOB finished, because that is top priority right now. But hopefully in the next two or three, four weeks, when you get that new article out about the constellations, the gospel, the scriptures, in the constellations. And Jesus was a Virgo, and it matches. It matches, I tell you. Talking about his faithfulness. When you look at Virgo, it says faithful. Praise the Lord. That makes me want to shout. Oh, yeah. The Virgo, people born in the Virgo sign, are the faithful people. 
the trustworthy people. Woo! Wow, praise God. How does that not make you shout? Amen? Wow. That right there proves that the birth signs were ordained by God. He created the stars. He called them everyone by name. Amen. The story of his birth is in the stars. And Jesus instructed the high priests, and maybe even all the priests, I don't know, but the priests of the temple, he instructed to have the birthstones of the tribes of Israel in their breastplates. So how is that witchcraft? How is that witchcraft? God would not command such a thing if it was witchcraft. Now, of course, it can be corrupted into witchcraft, of course, but we're not talking about corruption. So again, legalism, false doctrine, things you've been taught by the pastors, the preachers, the websites, things you've been taught and assumed that simply are not true. Now, of course, of course, I do not condone looking at the horoscope every day in order to guide and direct your decisions in your life, what you do and what you don't do based upon a daily horoscope in the newspaper or on the website. No, I do not condone that. That is making it your God. That is pushing God aside and saying, no, I'm not going to let you leave me, but rather I'm going to allow somebody in New York City writing the newspaper to leave me based upon their own interpretation of the Zodiac. So no, I don't condone that. But what would be acceptable is to look at your birth sign, both the month of the, of the Greek uh, so-called horoscope, or let's put it like this, sign, the Greek, not horoscope, but the Greek sign, and the Chinese year, and judge and examine yourself, which is not sinful and is not witchcraft, but examine yourself and judge yourself about the characteristics that are there for each sign, for each month, for each year, the characteristics of those people, both your strengths and your weaknesses. There is no sin or witchcraft in examining yourself to say, okay, I was born in the, the sign of a certain sign, a certain month, certain year, and it says that my weaknesses are such and such, and saying, is this true? Do I need to work on this? That is not sinful. Absolutely not. And I think that many of you will be shocked how accurate it is. It's not going to be 100% accurate because everybody has gone off path. Everybody has gone off path. But will not be 100% accurate. But I think you'd be amazed, some of you that have not yet judged yourself based upon your birth sign, how, how accurate it is for a lot of people. And I have found that to be true. And if it be true, then how can it be sinful? The truth is the truth. And the truth is just and right. And the truth was created by God. Your birth date, your birth location, the stars, the constellations were all created by God. How can that be wrong? Amen. To so take time, take fasting, take study, and all those things with those things. But let's move on. Let's press forward in the sermon. Amen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. 
page 184. One Corinthians nine, verse twenty-four. One Corinthians nine, verse twenty-four. Twenty-four through twenty-seven. Verse twenty-four says, "Do you not know that those those who run in a race run all? They all run, but only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win." Now here, Paul used a carnal example. Yes, yes, Paul used a carnal example. Oh, oh, oh my God. And said that you can look at the Olympics, you can look at races, you can look at fighting, you can look at boxing, you can look at wrestling, you can look at football and baseball, and look at how people compete against one another. And they're all in a competition, but they're all out for themselves to win, to win the race. Amen. we got to run to win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, and they, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, that we are in perishable wreath. Amen. So there's a way to run and I race in order to win it. Now, recently, here locally, we had watched a movie where this girl <clears throat> competes in a race. And a man was uh, teaching her during the race how, or at some point in time, how to run that race in order to win it. Okay, and the method was a very true and very accurate real-life technique of how to win a long-endurance race, okay? And that is perseverance and pushing, absolutely, amen? You have to persevere to run the whole course to finish it, to finish it, but not only just to finish it, but to win it. And in order to win it and not just finish, you have to maintain strength and energy to not, not allow yourself to get overly exhausted, maintain a pace, but also to occasionally really, really, really push. Amen. There are times that you must say, okay, for the next few seconds or for the next minute or two, I am going to run like crazy, especially when you get closer to the finish line. When that finish line is within view, that is the time to hit it, to push it to the pedal. And I'm telling you, that finish line is within view, isn't it? are very close. We're going to have to push. We're going to have to persevere and endure, but there are also moments that we're going to have to really push it and press it to the pedal. That means more prayer, more fasting, more seeking the face of the Lord, 
nor studying of the Bible, not studying of so-and-so's ministry website, but rather the Bible itself, reading the Bible, putting your nose in the Bible, reading the Bible, seeking the face of the Lord. Amen. And then look at the next verse. Verse 26, therefore I learn in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air. So he goes from running a race to the analogy of a boxing match. So now he, he's speaking in a way that he can better relate to men. Amen. Now the race even though in that day and time would have still spoke to men more than women, nevertheless, women could relate better to the running than to the boxing. When he's speaking about boxing, he's focusing even more about the men. Both men and women could understand running to a certain extent. But boxing, definitely more targeting the male audience. Amen. So many people are so legalistic that that is one of the hindrances that you need to push behind you, push aside, and let go of to press on about certain sports, certain activities, certain things that people do. Because a lot of legalistic Christians would say, oh, it would be wrong to watch a boxing match. It would be wrong uh, to watch boxing, and it would be wrong uh, for a man to be uh, there shirtless in front of everybody, in front of children, in front of women, in front of Christians. A lot of people... A lot of Christians are extremely legalistic, and yet there is nothing wrong at all with a man being shirtless at any time, in any place. Nothing wrong with it at all. When men box, they're boxing shirtless. This would have been the perfect time, perfect time, for Paul to say, uh, don't box, don't be like those men, keep your shirts on, uh, and I'm going to use this analogy of boxing, but, but, you've got to do it with a shirt on. This would have been the perfect time for him to say such a thing, if such a thing would have been true, which, of course, is not. Nothing wrong with a man being with a shirt off at any time, any place, absolutely nothing. People's got to get over that. Thankfully, a lot of people don't have that legalism about that particular subject, but some people do, a lot of people. Amen. So, you know, we've got new people, always new people, more and more and more and more new people, so I do have to speak as we come across these things to get all the teaching in there because we've got to press. This is part of pressing, is to make for sure everybody is getting all the information that they need to equip themselves for better growth, faster growth, 
to get everybody into the kingdom as fast as possible. Amen. Now it says in verse 27, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. Amen. So in one sense, we know that means to control your mind, heart, and body, and soul, to live a clean and holy life. But since he's using a physical analogy of boxing and, and uh, controlling the flesh, then I'm also thinking, also at the same time, I'm thinking about discipline and how we eat and what we eat and diet and exercise and working out and making our bodies fit because our bodies are holy unto the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of God. And if you had a, a physical temple standing today, it would be a requirement that maintenance be upkept, the floors swept and mopped, and all the repairs constantly going, um, anything that would go wrong with the, the building, that everything would be fixed immediately and fixed perfectly because it would be great, great respect to that building. And the same is what we should do to our physical temples today, amen, that we need to take care of our bodies as much as possible. Our bodies are very important. And we need to be in good health so that we can live and be a good testimony to other people and live as long as possible so that we can continue to be an encouragement and a help to other people. And so that we have more time, if we live longer, we have more time to keep growing in the Lord, to get ourselves ready for that resurrection so that we can make it into what the Bible calls the better resurrection. Amen. Now let's go to Hebrews 12. No, let's go to chapter 10 here first. 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation or trial has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And meaning that all mankind are tempted, and we're all tempted with the same temptations. We are. We really are. And Theos is faithful that who would not allow you, he would not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able. But with the temptation or trial, he will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. This is a very true statement. Amen? We're all tempted, and we all face trials and temptations and, and trials and sufferings, that God would not allow anything of a trial or testing or temptation to come upon us that we cannot survive and endure and have the right reaction. He always makes a way of escape. You've got to remember that no matter how hard it gets, God would not allow this to come upon you if it was too much. So suicide is never the answer because there's always an appropriate way of escape. And saying yes to temptation is really never excusable. There's always a way of escape. And getting down and totally depressed, get in here. Getting down and depressed out of control and letting your depression 
lead you, allowing your depression to lead you instead of you controlling it, is without excuse. Because the Bible says that God would not allow anything to come upon you that you cannot escape from, that you cannot overcome, that he always makes a way of escape. And God is faithful, as it says right there, even as his birth sign says. He is faithful. Amen. And when we allow depression to control us or anxiety to control us, then we are insulting God and insulting his faithfulness. We're saying, I don't trust you. That's exactly what they said in the wilderness. We don't trust you to provide for us. We will grumble. We will complain because we do not trust you. That was what all the mumbling was about in the wilderness. We don't trust you. Depression and fear and anxiety says, I do not trust you, God. And therefore, our appropriate reaction, if we do get caught in the traps of the trials and tribulations and depression and anxiety and stress, our escape is, the answer is pressing. That we've got to get some willpower. We've got to get some determination. We've got to get some zeal and some passion. And we've got to say, I will not allow this thing to lead and control me. Amen. We do not allow anything to take power over us. Nothing except for God to take power over us. Amen. Now let's go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse Y'all can tell that the devil is winning against my wife. And I am doing everything I can do as a person that is so exhausted and with much responsibilities. But I can't do it for her. She has to make up her own mind. She has got to find zeal and passion that she is going to do what she needs to do 
and trust the Lord and be active for the Lord and do what is necessary. And it's on her own soul, nobody else's. We all make our own decisions whether to trust God or not and to, whether or not to obey the husband, whether or not to obey the bridegroom, and to do what is right. It's everybody's own decision. Nobody's going to stand with somebody else on judgment day and say it's their fault or use any excuse. There'll be no excuses, no excuses. Health, physical, mental, emotional, no excuses on judgment day. Amen? No excuses. Nobody's going to be able to say that it's a uh, anything. We've all got to take self-responsibility, maturity of self-responsibility. Amen? Look at Hebrews 12, verse 1, all the way down to verse 3. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, meaning examples, of people that have already lived before us. And they, they suffered at the persecution of trial and prison and torture and death and all kinds of trials and tribulations, much more severe than anything any of us has, has ever faced in our lives. We have such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every, 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 every burden, anything that would hinder us, any incumbents, and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a race that is set right in front of us. There is a path right in front of us. God has set it right in front of us. All we have to do is get up and walk and run it. And yes, we'll start slow. And yes, it will be hard, and yes, our legs will start cramping, and yes, our stomach will start hurting, and yes, we'll start sweating, and yes, we will start uh, huffing and huffing, and yes, it will be hard. God did not promise an easy road. God did not promise us a path of rose petals. But he promised us victory if we just look to the finish line run the race with endurance, look to him, trust him for strength, trust him for answers, trust him for strength, that we can be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. Amen. And that nothing shall be impossible to us. Nothing. That if we say to the mountain, move, it will move. If we say to the depression, get out of my way, I'm not going to let you hinder me then that mountain of depression has to move. It has to. He has given us power over anything and everything, even over snakes, even over scorpions, and over anything. And nothing by any means shall hurt us if we trust the Lord, obey the Lord, and have some determination, some willpower. We're in a fight. Fight back. Fight. It is ridiculous to lose, and the only people that will lose are people that want to lose. The only people that will die in the lake of fire will be the people that just continually and forever reject God and his truth. Amen? Anybody that wants God can have God. He has his hand reached out to you every minute of the day. 
He reaches out to you every seventh day, every morning, every breath, every heartbeat. At any time, he could kill either one of us. At any time, we could have a stroke or a seizure or a heart attack. Any one of us. Every day that we still have a breath in our bodies, it is by the mercies of God that he's still given us a chance and a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. I'm a living witness to that. Anybody that loses is the people that want to lose. If you want to live, get up and walk. Amen. There is no excuse for losing. There's no excuse to stay in bed. There's no excuse to let the devil win. No excuse. Let us lay aside, it says, every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the gladness set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of Theos. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. But you have not yet resisted the point of shedding blood and striving against sin. Amen. If what we must do in order to win is to fight the devil himself, then let us trust the strength that comes from God that he will fight our battles for us in a sense at certain times if we will allow God to do it. Amen. The Bible says, quench not the spirit. God wants to help us, but many times we say, get behind me, God, because I would rather stay depressed. I would rather stay in bed. I would rather be disobedient. I would rather think and talk about everything that's wrong rather than to talk and think about your goodness, your faithfulness, your promises, your goodness, Father. God has been too good to us for us to not trust the Lord and be happy and rejoiceful. Amen. We have gone too far to turn back. Amen. We had somebody from Utah that was supposed to be here in the last couple of weeks or so, and it was three days drive. He was already two days into that drive. He had already finished. Two out of three days drive. That very next day, he could have been here. That very next day, he could have arrived here and had fellowship and support and encouragement and a great path in front of him of learning and growing in so many different ways. 
And I still don't know to this day why he turned around because he don't have enough respect to give me the reason. But there's no reason possible of why he should have turned around. I don't care if his dad died. I don't care if his son, his father, his dad, his mama, or his entire family got killed on a bus. I still would not have turned around when two days of gasoline fuel, time and energy and food and motel rooms, which we partly paid for, that I would have turned around. Ain't no way would I have turned around when he was so close to being here, to finishing the race, to finishing the finish line and getting here where God himself was calling him. Amen. There's nothing that could have turned me back. Not robbery, not murder, not death, not the grave, not the devil, not a hurricane, not an earthquake. After two days of driving, I would have finished it and gotten here and, and maintained and pressed and persevered. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it had anything to do with a bank, all that could be handled online and over the phone and through the mail. Absolutely. But people are too willing to let the devil win. Too willing to let the devil win. And there's no excuse. The only people that will lose will be the people that allow the devil to control them. Allow. Amen. Only the most wicked will lose. Let us lay aside every weight. Some of these weights, it says, let us lay aside every weight. Some of these weights are heavier than other weights. But it doesn't say to lay aside only the light weights. Amen. We've got to be able and willing to lay aside any weight. That's uh, a different translation, every incumbrance or every weight. I don't like that word, incumbrance, because I can't say it. <laughs> but I think that a lot of people, especially people that have trouble with English, that they would... Uh, have a problem understanding what that means. In the Alpha Omega Bible, we're trying to put it in words where not only do the English people understand, but also people in Korea and Africa and across the world, India, that when they read the English words, that they can understand it better. So we're going to have to change that. Some translation says weight, but we're going to have to examine that word. So let's see what we put there. But... Whatever it is, we got anything that would hinder us, no matter how heavy or powerful it is, we have got to push it aside. Amen. We got to look to Jesus. This is the answer. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that gives us the strength. He is the one that gives us the strength. Amen. Now look at Book of James. James chapter 1, page 243. James chapter 1, verse 2, verses 2 through 4. 
James 1, verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Does it say that when you have various trials, you should get over-anxious? No. That you should get depressed? No. That you should give up? No. But rather, you should be joyous. And how can you do that? All you have to do, it is simple. All you have to do is realize why the trials are there. The trials are there because either the devil is trying to defeat you or you're trying to defeat yourself. You're allowing somebody to defeat you or God is pruning you to make you stronger. In either case, recognizing that all things are for our good. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8, right? That all things are going to work out for our good unless we resist it. Amen? To consider it joy that it's all for our good, that there's a reason behind it, and that there's always a reason, a way of escape. There's always a way of escape. We can take rejoicement in our trials if we recognize there's a reason for it, it's going to make us stronger. It's going to help perfect us. It's going to help us make it into that first resurrection. The more trial, the more suffering we have, the better we're going to be ready for the first resurrection. I guarantee you. We should actually pray for more suffering and more trials if we're not getting much. We really are serious about that. If you're not having very much trials, then you need more because it is the trials that perfect us, that build us. I'm somewhat of a bodybuilder, not as much as I want to be, but in bodybuilding, you have to tear down the muscle in order for that muscle to get bigger. You have got to beat your body. You have to discipline your body. You have to punish your body. You have to get sore. And the more sore you get in working out, the bigger your muscles will become and the stronger you will become. And that is the same way it works with our minds, our character, and our soul. Absolutely. 100% true. We need all the sufferings that we can receive in order to work out all the impurity, even as the Bible uses the analogy of us being put into a fire to purify us. Amen? The Bible uses that, that all of our trials and sufferings is like we are in a furnace, that we are in a fiery furnace. And think not that it is surprised. Don't be surprised that we're being thrown into that fiery furnace. Amen, it says in Peter. For that will purify us like gold. Amen. We need that fire, that trial, that tribulation, that suffering, that pain, that burning. We need the burning of the fire of trial and tribulation. We need it. Because, you know, the rich people that have it easy, that's one of the reasons, one of several reasons why it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom is because they got it too easy in life. So their character doesn't really get built. 
They're spoiled rotten. Spoiled. Amen. They don't know what it's like to suffer and be poor, to have to buy the cheapest food and so forth. They don't know what it's like, and it does not build their character, and they don't even help the poor. The rich do not help the poor as much as the poor does. The poor helps the other poor more than the rich do because they know what it's like. Amen? So it's actually better to be poor, and the Bible tells us over and over and over and over and over again that it's better to be poor, much better to be poor in many different ways. So it says here in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result. We were seeking perfection for the resurrection. We must endure. And that comes from trials. We have to endure trials for the perfection so that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In order to obtain into the resurrection of the better resurrection, we need to be perfected, lacking nothing. And that means lacking nothing mentally, emotionally, or spiritually, that we know all things that we need to know, that we have gained much knowledge, wisdom, and discernment, that we have bared much good fruit, and that we're in love with the Lord. Amen. And that we have that intimate relationship with him that blows legalism out of the park. Amen. A very close relationship with God is like a golden baseball bat that will blow the ball of legalism out of the park. Amen. It will blow it to smithereens. When you really, really, really know God, you won't hear about a man being shirtless. Amen. God is so good to us. Look at verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, and you must get approved, you must get approved for the better resurrection. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But a lot of people claim to love him. But you can't say you love him unless you keep his commandments, like the Bible says over and over, and trust him. Amen. You can keep all the law and all the commandments and still not be approved for the better resurrection and for the prize of winning the race of the first one across the finish line, the prize of being first wife out of many, being the bride to come out and go into the bridegroom marriage wedding supper. I see no wedding supper for the people in the second resurrection that I know of in Scripture. The second wife doesn't get the wedding like the first wife does. Even though they both make it in, both wives, only the first wife has the actual wedding in heaven. So it'd be nice whether we make it in in the first or the second. Either way, it would be nice 
But who wouldn't want first prize? What woman wouldn't want to be the first one? Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. And what man would not want a virgin? What man wouldn't want a virgin? He wants his first wife. He wants a wife that no other man has had. That is truly his. Amen. And there's nothing wrong by saying this. This is the truth. This is Bible. This is Bible. Read the Bible and read about it. Read about it. That's where it's supposed to be. Nothing wrong with it. Amen. God is so good to us. Amen. Look at chapter 5, James 5, verse 11, page 245. James 511, page 245. God is so good. And I think, hopefully, what I'd like to do, Robert, is... Now, they have these little gas propane camp stoves that are really small that is only one burner that's, like, really small. Survival stuff. And put the incense on that. Put a flame to that baby. Yeah! We're going to energize it. We're going to energize our incense because our incense has never been strong enough. So I'm going to put some fire to that baby next week. Amen. Write that down so you don't forget, and I don't forget. Amen. And we are in James 5, verse 11. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. Amen. That the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, Job, think of Job. He lost all of his wives. Hmm. And all of his cattle, everything. Well, you're talking about Chi-Chi that you saw online. What was that? But... Job lost everything, his family, his children, all of his wives, and everything he had financially and physically. But he still had the Lord. Amen. And that is all that mattered. That's all that mattered to Job is that he still had the Lord. That's what Psalm 23 is all about, that the Lord is my shepherd and that he is sufficient. He is sufficient. That is the lesson of being, oh, yeah, those burners that we put the incense on, okay? Hopefully, they might have one at Walmart. I don't know. But the Lord is sufficient. Absolutely. We cannot overstate that. It, it is so true. It is so true. The Lord is sufficient. Even if we didn't have a house, a car, a money, income, any clothes to wear, a husband, a wife, children, even if we didn't have anything, 
if we had the Lord, that would be enough to sustain us, to give us hope, to give us faith, to give us endurance, to give us perseverance, to give us a reason to live. Even if we lived in the woods or behind a building or traveling across the nation, a lot of my best friends are homeless. That's the way it's been all my life for the most part. And even though most homeless people have made a lot of mistakes that ended up in them being homeless, they at least live a life to where if the only thing is God, is God, that is sufficient for them. It doesn't take a house to make them happy. Amen. It doesn't take a job or an income. It doesn't take a husband or wife or family. Their husband is not their savior. Their wife is not their savior. Their children are not their savior. The only comfort that they can get is in the Lord. Amen. That's a great way to live in one sense, if you did it for the right reason. Amen. If you did it for the right reason, if you were homeless for the right reason, it would be a great way to live. Freedom. Amen. Jesus and his disciples were homeless for three and a half years as they traveled all over the place on foot. Amen. They did it for the right reason. And they had Christ. And, and the 12 men or 11 men that walked with him all that time, they, even though they had left their wives and their children and their jobs, they wasn't constantly mumbling like the Israelites did in the wilderness. Amen? They wasn't mumbling, oh, let us go back. I miss my wife. I miss my wife. I can't live without my wife. It wasn't like that. They had Christ, and Christ was sufficient. They had the kingdom. They had the resurrection. They had eternal life, speaking and teaching them every day. What a life. What a life. Amen. God is so good to us. But Job endured, having only God an outcome of the Lord's dealings that he, Job, ended out better than he had started with. And that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. God is love. God is faithful. God is the great amen. God is merciful. He is always willing to take us back if we just come back in truth and righteousness and faith and true belief and continue to endure and push harder than before. We have all fallen away from the Lord at some point of our life. But God did teach us the analogy of the prodigal son, of the son that went out there and did all kinds of things and wasted his money, but finally came back to the father, and the father wasn't, oh, you did this and you did that, you did this and you know. The father was, welcome back. Let's throw a party. Woo! That's kind of that I like. Woo! Nothing wrong with it. 
Jesus said it was wrong. Jesus did not say it was wrong to throw a party. He's going to throw a party. Amen? He's going to throw a party and there will be wine. Guaranteed. Whoa. Amen. Jesus is going to throw a party, the biggest party there ever was. And I guarantee you there will be a lot of wine, lots and lots and lots and lots of wine. That was his first miracle that was recorded in the scriptures that we have now. Amen. That he made lots of wine for a party. That was his first miracle in his ministry that's written over in the scriptures of the New Testament, and it's going to be repeated in heaven. How beautiful that is. Amen. He drank wine with his men on his last night that he was here on earth. How beautiful that is, too, drinking with his buddies. What man doesn't want to drink with his buddies? If he's a man, not a man. Amen. Nothing wrong with what I'm saying. I'm just telling you the truth. I don't talk like other preachers because I'm not fake. I'm honest. I'm real. Amen? I don't wear a mask of pretending that I'm holier than thou. Amen? Tell you the truth. I say it the way it is so that you can press in in a very short period of time. I'm not going to give you a pacifier. I'm not going to baby you. I'm going to say it the way it is. Sometimes I'm going to use language that you're not comfortable with. But it needs to be said to pressure you out of your box. Box of legalism and other hindrances. So many things that's going to be laid aside. So many things that's got to be laid aside. And it's going to take some shouting and some tough language. Amen. But I'm glad I do have support of the church that has endured Kiki four years of being in the congregation, the Church of Jesus Christ, Four years of trials and testing and tribulations and AJ, I don't know how many years now, probably about the same three or four years or five, I don't know, but so much trial, suffering that Brother AJ has gone through, but he has endured, amen, and they will. I know that there's two people, even three, that I know that will absolutely endure to the end. It is Brother AJ, Sister Tiki, and Brother Robert that will endure, and others too, but those immediately on top of my mind that I know will endure unto the end. Brother Robert, I could push him around, hit him with a broom if that's what it took to discipline him and toughen him up, and I believe I'm going to have to get that broom out. <laughs> He's like, oh, my God, I don't know. Uh, what, what did I do? What did I do? But, no, you didn't do nothing. But maybe I need to bring it out just to toughen you up. But he would endure it. 
If that's what it took, he would endure it. Amen. And he would know that it was the right thing. Amen. So God is so good. God is so good. That broomstick brings back a lot of memories. <laughs> broomstick is a weapon of choice for grandmothers and moms. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, Sarah Joe, you think you got it rough? You think you got it rough? Think of Job. Amen. Have you lost? Several, several, not just one or two, but several spouses and several, several, several children and all your livestock. And have you got massive, painful sores all over your body like Job had? You think you've got it rough. Look at Job and all the other great cloud of witnesses that ran the race before us and finished it and has not even received the rewards yet and they're waiting for us because they cannot be perfected without us we got to be perfected first we got to think about other people this ain't just only about ourselves alone our testimony our lives and our race will affect those that run after us those that are still yet to come and those from the first uh era of the Old Testament, when they come back, they have to read about us, learn about us, and learn from our examples. And what we do and what we don't do and the tests we pass and the tests we don't pass will have a great influence upon future children of God. Amen? And who wouldn't want to be a good story and not a bad story? Amen. There's bad stories in the Bible about bad things where people failed, like Solomon. Let us not be a bad story, but let us be a good testimony of somebody that won the race. Amen. God is so good. And let me look at the next note here. Luke 8, verse 11, page 76. Luke 8, verse 11 and 15. Luke 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of Theos. This is the parable of the sower. The seed is the word of God. And those that, uh, those beside the road, those seeds that fell along beside the road, are those who have heard, those people who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe. And they will not believe and be saved. And those seeds that fell along the rocky soil are those who, when they heard, received the word with joy, and these have no firm root. 
they believe for a while, and in the but in the time, and it should say but and not and. All right, let's change that, Robert. It'd be more appropriate to say but in the time of trial or adversity or temptation, they fall away. In verse 14, the seed which fell along the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have had the word, heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast. They hold it tight. Change fast to tight, Robert. They hold it fast, they hold it tight, okay? Verse 15, fast equals tight. And bear fruit with perseverance. Notice that they bear fruit with perseverance. Amen. I go back to that other verse that says, let's see. Verse 13. That those that the seed that fell on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. They receive it. They get saved. They accept it. But these have no firm root. For they believe for a while. That could be one month, two days, a week. It could be six months. It could be a couple of years. It could even be 10, 20 years. But after a short period, after a period of time, after a period of when the time of trial comes, they fall away. So many people fall away. We are actually in what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2 is the great falling away. Now, a lot of that will occur and intensify after the strong delusion. But I also think it occurs a lot of it in the days and weeks and months before that as well. And we are seeing people fall away. Three days into a three-day trip, fall away. Other people, people that used to come right here every week for services for a month, for two months, for six months, for a year even, and then leave, a great falling away. And we've seen it over and over. Because of trials, temptations, false doctrines, Babylon, false teachings, worry, anxiety, whatever the problem may be, something removes them because they are not well-rooted in the first place. Not well-rooted in the first place. They well-rooted in Jesus Christ you have to have deep roots that will hold you in the ground when the wind gets strong. And those deep roots in Jesus Christ comes from prayer and reading the Bible rather than some books written by man that are daily devotions because that is for babies. Those daily devotions are for people who are in Babylon. Those daily devotions are for people that just got saved. Those daily devotions are for weak people and babes in Christ. A person that has known the Lord for a while 
should be able to actually read the Bible for themselves. Hello? Amen? Read the Bible for themselves. Study the Bible for themselves to seek out what it means by reading the Bible and comparing verse with verse and praying and seeking the Lord's face instead of somebody spoon-feeding it to you like a baby. That's what those daily devotional books and websites are. They are something where somebody has packaged up and spoon-feed you just a few verses at a time and their interpretation of it without you having to study it out for yourself. Amen. It's for babies. And when that has been your life, um, reading the Bible is devotions that were created for you and spoon-fed to you like a baby. No wonder you didn't have no root. Amen. People need to read not just a few verses a day, but more like three chapters a day. Or one or two chapters with lots of references and looking at other verses in the Bible which would complete another chapter by reading more. You'd still finish out three chapters or more if you did cross-referencing based on one chapter. Studying the Bible, thinking about what it says, what it means, and how to apply it into your life. Thinking about what God is speaking to you through it. Amen. And judging it with discernment, not jumping to conclusions, not twisting it, but taking the time to sincerely examine what it really means, what it really says. Amen. That's what people need rather than Devotions written in a book. The trials and tribulations of life will pull us out of the vine if we are not well rooted in prayer and fasting, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, worshiping God. Prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, prayer and praise, and asking for discernment and growing and accepting the doctrines that he reveals. And we are when we are resistant to the new revelations and increased understanding as he pours out greater understanding, more revelations, more doctrines, more corrections, more truth. And we say, no, I don't like a particular thing. Then we quench the spirit and our roots grow shorter. We don't become better rooted. We don't grow deeper roots when we're resistant to new revelation. And a lot of the new revelations are not new at all, but it's always been in the Bible. But when we are when we are resistant to growth in the truth, then our roots will not grow deeper. So we need that increase of truth. Absolutely, Amen. Let's jump to Revelation two. 
Revelation chapter 2. Now, in the notes, you're going to see more verses than what I'm going to um, actually go over with you because I want to be led by the Spirit and not completely led by notes, okay? So I'm going to jump all the way to Revelation chapter 2. And in Revelation 2, we see the letter to the seven churches. We know that Revelation 2, verse 1, starts with the church of Ephesus. But notice in verse 2, it says, I know your works and your toil and perseverance. So he acknowledges, God acknowledges the perseverance in that church. Now, he recognizes both the good and the bad characteristics of that church, including perseverance. Amen. Then look at verse 8. To the pastor of the church to call out ones in Smyrna, he says this, verse 10, jump down to verse 10 while he's speaking to the church at Smyrna, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life, which is a reward. Amen? So test it and faithful, and uh, the crown of life. And in verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the congregations of called out ones. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second gasp. The labor thought. Amen? So to this second church, he's talking about perseverance as well, about being faithful and overcome. Then go down to the next church, verse 12, is the church at Pegaman, and then look at verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the congregation of called out ones. To him who overcomes, him I will give of the hidden, hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on that stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. Amen. So again, even to that church, that you must overcome. To each and every church, these people must overcome trials and tribulations. They must endure unto the end. He must overcome whatever obstacles, whatever weight, whatever that would beset them whatever that would slow them down, whatever that would stop or hinder them from receiving the rewards in the afterlife, they must overcome. There is a theme of perseverance and overcoming and enduring and even pressing forward past the obstacles. Each church, he says, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. But you must overcome and you must repent. So there is a theme of Staying in Christ and repenting and overcoming. In order to do that, not only must you persevere, but you must press past those obstacles. You must press past the hindrance, past the trials, past the tribulations. Set in your mind on the finish line. Set in your mind on the goal. Set in your mind on the crown of life, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Judgment Day, reward and with the receipt of your promises. Amen. Those are what you, that's how you overcome. 
putting your mind on the reward, putting your mind on the author and the finisher of your faith, rather than putting your mind on the problem and keeping your mind stuck on the problem, that would not be an answer. That would not be a solution. That would be a trap that you never escape. The escape route, which God promised to always provide an escape, is to look to the author and the finisher of our faith. Going into your prayer closet, your sanctuary, wherever, in your house, your car, picnic table, somewhere where you can spend time with the Lord in prayer and praise, 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 praise. The harder the problem, praise more. Amen. Look at verse 18 to the church of that town. Verse 19, I know your works and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance. Verse 25, nevertheless, what you have, hold very tight until I come. Hold very tight. Verse 26, he who overcomes, he will keep my works until the end. Amen. It continues that line of perseverance. Chapter 3, verse 1, to the church of Sardis. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your work completed in the sight of Felix. So he's saying to that church, you're sleeping. You're sleeping too much. You're still in bed. You need to strengthen what still remains. Any root that still remains in you, you've got to strengthen. It was about to die. You've got to strengthen what is left in you. Any hope, any faith that you still got left, you've got to strengthen it. Any root, you've got to strengthen it. For I have not found your works completed. There's still work to do. You still got to grow fruit. You still, you've not yet reached the finish line. You've not yet reached to obtaining the better resurrection. There's still time left. There is still time. Wake up, strengthen yourself, pull up your panties, and get the work done. Amen. There's work to do. All you got to do is do it. Amen. Do the work that needs done. Verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, it says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what iron I will come to you. That is a threat of early death. Amen. Heart attack, stroke, car wreck. Anything. Cancer. Amen. And many people say that we can never, ever, ever, ever know when Christ is coming because he's going to come like a thief. But the fact is that the Bible uses those analogies every time of him coming like a thief only to the wicked. Only to the wicked. Because what woman doesn't know what time her husband is due home? 
Amen? And what bride and bridegroom doesn't arrange a specific date and time for the marriage? Amen. The only people that would be called unprepared for the coming of the Lord are those who are still just in bed sleeping. For whatever reason, fatigue, weariness, depression, no willpower, no zeal, no passion for the Lord, lost faith in the Lord. Whatever reason, the people that choose to still be asleep when God calls them home, and it won't be home when he calls you if you're asleep, amen. But there's still time. He says, repent. I want you to repent. He's reaching the hand out saying, I want you to repent. Amen. Strengthen yourself. Amen. Verse 5, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in spiritual white garments. Verse 7, to the Church of Philadelphia. Now, the Church of Philadelphia era is the best era, and it's gone, and it's done, and it's over with. But people can have these characteristics. Individual congregations and individual people can have the characteristics of the Philadelphia era. Verse 10, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that which is about to come. In other words, when the great tribulation comes, he will protect us. Amen. Not everybody will he protect, but he will protect some of those people who have the Philadelphia characteristics of perseverance and other characteristics. Verse 11, I am coming quickly. Hold very tight to what you have so that no one would take your crown. Again, this proves the want save, always save doctrine as a lie because right here he is saying in different words that someone can take your crown. So hold it tight. People can. Take that away from you. So hold it very tight. And he who overcomes, I would make him a column, a pillar in the temple of my field, spiritually speaking. And finally, verse 14 is to the church of Laodicea, which is the church era that we are now in, the end time church era, which is the worst of all of them, of course. Wickedness abounds in our generation. Amen. Skip to verse 21, speaking to that church. He said, he who overcomes, he has nothing good to speak to say to that church. Nothing good except for the opportunity of repentance. He doesn't say, I like this about you. I like this is what you've done. This is your doctrine. He doesn't give anything good about this church except for the opportunity that his hand is still stretched out, saying that you can still repent saying that you can still overcome. Even though they are the worst church of all history, that can still overcome. Nobody has sinned too much that they can't overcome. There's always a way of escape. God is good. God is love. 
God is faithful. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, even to the most wicked. Paul, who was a murderer, who persecuted the church of God, who uh, was an antichrist figure of his time and had been legalistic and all that and, and still struggled with sin, even as an apostle in Romans 7, and even said he wasn't ready for the better resurrection. He struggled with sin. That he was a man of God. And he will be in God's kingdom, whether it's the first or the last. Either way, he will be in God's kingdom. Amen. And it says here in verse 21, even to this worst church, he says this, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. That's not physically. That's not literal. But spiritually speaking, he is saying, I'm going to give you the power and the authority of a king to share in his kingdom over the earth and the universe. Amen? Even the prodigal son that went out and bought prostitutes and partied hard and wasted all his money foolishly, even him, when he comes back to God, God doesn't say, I hate what you did. I hate what you did. You was wrong, you was wrong, you was wrong, you was wrong, you was wrong. But rather the Father says, welcome back, son, let's party. Amen. God is so good. God is nothing but good. Amen. Amen. Even to the worst church, he says, I will give you everything. I will give you everything. You sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father. Ooh, good daddy, good daddy. Even as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear. Open up. Unclog your ears. Amen. Unclog your ears. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the congregations of called out ones. We are called out. He has called us. He has chosen us. We are chosen of the Lord. Amen. God is so good. And for your homework, you can read the last verse I've gotten in the notes, homework, 1 Chronicles 16. We won't turn there right now, but give you some homework to give you some things to read. 1, 1 Chronicles 16, verses 8 through 12. 1 Chronicles 16, verses 8 through 12. And that's talking about singing and praising to the Lord and uh, seeking the Lord with all your strength and seek his presence continually. Sing and praise to the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his strength. Seek it. Seek it. Don't just expect it just automatically, naturally come to you. You have to seek it. You have to do your part to ask for it. Lord, please strengthen me. Even the disciples said, Lord, please help our unbelief. They were honest with him, admitted their weaknesses, or somebody said it. They admitted their weaknesses and was honest and open. 
And that's what God wants from us, to be honest and open and confessing our weaknesses and saying, here's my weaknesses, help. And in doing that, we're seeking help. Seek the Lord and his strength. Because we can't do this on our own strength. We cannot. We cannot pass all these tests and trials and tribulations on our own strength. We have to have the power of the Holy Ghost to do it. We have to ask for that. We have to seek baptism. We have to seek repentance. We have to seek the fruits of repentance so that we can be baptized. We have to seek faith and endurance and perseverance. We have to do our part. We have to work for it. We have got to press. We have got to seize it. It takes determination because everything that the devil can throw at us, he is throwing and more. So we've got to fight harder. We've got to get a passion. We've got to get on fire to win this race. Amen. God is good enough to reach out today to say to you that he wants you to do this and this is how you do it. He's good enough to reach the hand out. All you have to do is reach right back through praising him for the sermon, praising him for instruction, praising him for encouragement, praising him for the, the necessary tough language in order to wake you up the shouting, the hollering, the screaming, to wake you up to realize where you're at and what you need to do. Amen. Be thankful for the Lord's discipline, for the Lord's chastisement. Be thank you. Thank you, Father, for these things. Amen. Lord, thank you, Father, for this word that you have given today that has been planted today. We pray that it would find good ground, that it will grow, that it will become well-rooted, that there be new life established today. Where there has been dry rot, where there has been mold, where there has been mildew, where there has been different forms of decay, that today, that there be restoration and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. The word has been sent. The seed has been sent. The watering has been sent. The empowerment from on high has been sent. And we entrust that this word will not return void nor vain, but will accomplish the purpose of which forth it has been sent. We pray that everybody, everybody that listens to this at any time be strengthened and emboldened in the Lord Jesus Christ forevermore without end. We pray that the walls of legalism are cracked and broken and fallen down. We pray that the walls of Babylon have been fallen down today. Legalism is cast asunder. Babylon is cast asunder. Sin and wickedness and unbelief and unfaithfulness is cast asunder. Depression and anxiety is cast asunder. And we trample underfoot these dark things by the glory of the light of the Lord, the light of life, 
We claim victory in the name of Jesus. We claim the blood of Jesus. We claim the power of the Holy Ghost. We claim the name of Jesus against every obstacle, against every weight that so tries to entangle us. We escape such things by the power of God, by the word he has sent, by his holy presence. We claim victory through the blood, through the name, and through the Spirit. We claim our victories. In Jesus Christ, we win against the devil. The devil must get behind us because we have the power. We have the authority against all darkness, against every obstacle. We have power in heaven and earth. We claim that we are the family of God. We claim that we are the citizens of God's kingdom with power and authority. We were born to be kings and priests. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are chosen. We are called out. And we are going to be separate from the world. We will persevere. We will press in the name of Jesus Christ. We will seize the kingdom. We will be empowered from on high. We accept the energy. We accept the empowerment. We accept the holy gifts of God. We accept all the tools and instruments that you give us today, Father. We accept the encouragement and the help. We accept your helping hand. We accept it, Father. We claim it in the name of Jesus Christ. We cast aside every imagination and every thought and every fear that it tries to entangle us. We bring the thoughts to the throne of God. We bring our worries to the altar of God. We cast our anxieties upon you, Lord. We cast our burdens upon the back of Jesus Christ, for by your stripes we are healed. By your stripes we are set free in the name of Jesus Christ. We claim the stripes of Christ. We claim the blood. We claim the power of the Holy Ghost. We claim the power of the resurrection in the name of Jesus. Get behind me, Satan, because I am marching forward and I am leading the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen. Praise God Almighty. Praise the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise Jesus. Amen. Praise God. God is so good. And I believe that this is for every one of us, not just for one, but for all. This is a family. This is a kingdom. This is a nation, the nation of God. Amen. May we all be strengthened in our roots even deeper today. Amen. Let us not leave this the same as we came into this today, but let every one of us depart from this sermon with deeper roots, stronger faith, stronger endurance, stronger preservation, and with a zeal and passion better than ever before. Amen. Be empowered and grow in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless those that listened today live and those that will be listening later, that they will listen with a heart of learning. Amen. God is so good to us. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
Amen. I love my party day. Amen. Fiesta forever. Amen. Fiesta forever. Amen. God is so good to us. I see the sun shining. And that means come out here. Come on out. Let me shine upon you. Amen. That's what the sun is saying to me. Come out and let me shine on you. Amen. Amen. Yes, and the new moon on Thursday, Thursday the 20th, uh, time is flying by, first day of the sixth month, on Thursday, August the 20th, special new moon services for that day, 7 o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, which I believe is 6 o'clock over in Jamaica in the morning, all for early. And... Uh, also be 6 o'clock Central Time. <clears throat> so I know it's really early and, early, and that's very difficult for me. But if I can do it, anybody can do it. Amen. And even 5 o'clock over there Mountain Time and 4 o'clock Pacific, if I can get up and preach at 7 o'clock, then you people over there in California and Pacific time can get up at 4 in the morning. Kiki and AJ, they listen every week at 3 and 4 in the morning on the seventh day. If they can do it, anyone can do it. And if I can preach at 7 o'clock in the morning and have to sleep, then anybody can come and just listen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. God is so good. We'll try to get that AOB out to people as soon as possible. Pray for me about getting the AOB done quickly. Pray for my wife. Pray for Robert. Pray for AJ and Kiki. Pray for Brother Kareem and Sister Fiona. We have new people, Christine, Karen, Lori. Pray for meekness. He's in his apartment, praise God. Pray for the pastors in Algeria, the congregations in Algeria. Pray for Brother Peter and BJ. Pray for all these and more. And I will see you all bright and early in the morning on Thursday morning. God willing, if the creeks don't rise. Amen. Even if the creeks do rise. I ain't going to let that get in my way. Amen. I ain't going to let no flood, no storm, no earthquake, no law of man, anything hinder us. We will see you. Yes, Jonathan. Pray for Jonathan. Thank you, Kiki. And all the other men in prison, pray for them. Amen. And Jonathan said that he was still occasionally having really bad migraines that causes him to have nausea and vomiting. So I think what's going on with him is that he had um, uh, somebody, I think one of the guards or prisoners or somebody hit him in the head uh, well, a few months ago. And it really hurt him. And I think that's some kind of damage in his neck or his head is giving him migraines so bad that it makes him throw up. I know that migraines uh, can cause nausea and vomiting if it's 
that bad. There are certain migraines and certain people that will cause uh, vomiting. So I think that it's not the virus. I was worried that it was, and it could be. But I think it's more likely from like damage to his head or neck at some time in the past. But God can heal anything and anyone. He can raise the dead, and I've known it to happen. So nothing is impossible with the Lord. Amen. So pray for his healing in Jesus' name. Amen. And we've got the um, fiesta of trumpets coming up next month. That'll be here before we know it. On uh, September the 18th will be fiesta of trumpets, and that will be a Sabbath on a Friday. So we'll have two Sabbaths in a row, Friday and Saturday, on that weekend in September, and then the Day of Atonement soon after that, and then the fiesta of tabernacles soon after that. And we're going to have to seek about how we're going to be able to keep the fiesta of tabernacles, how we're going to be able to go camping because of the, of the virus epidemic. Different people live in different towns, different states, different nations. Different people have different things available to them. What's available to one person may not be available to somebody else in a different region. So some of us are going to have to really pray for direction about what we're going to be able to do, okay? And we'll find out sooner or later what we're going to be able to do, and we'll do what we can. Amen. Um, let God lead in that. Amen. I'm not going to be worried about it. I'm just going to be praying about it. That's all. Amen. And there's a difference. Amen. And what will happen will happen. And no matter what happens, Christ is sufficient, and that's all we need, and it's going to be okay. God is in control. God is in control. Amen. Yeah, some some towns, like Kiki says, some towns won't allow people to travel out of town, certain towns. So we don't know what it's going to be like in September and October where I have to wait and see and just stay in prayer and just let the Lord lead. No matter what happens, God is in control and we'll serve the Lord in it the maximum amount of what we can. And even if it's in your own backyard for people that have a yard, not everyone does have a yard. A lot of people live in apartments. But if you have a yard, if you do have a yard you can camp in, then that could be an option. That could be an option for certain people. Or maybe you can camp in a relative's yard or a friend's yard if it came down to that. So we'll deal with it. We'll deal with it, and we'll serve the Lord to the maximum amount of no matter what the situation will be. Amen? Where there's a way, there's a way, and where there's no way, God will make a way. Amen. Pray for AJ, and pray for everyone. Amen. God is good. All of this in Jesus' name. And the congregation said, Amen. Amen. Praise God.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.